It was the late, great Yogi Berra who once famously said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. Well, sometimes when we come to a proverbial fork in the road, when we have difficult choices to make between this course of action or that, we can't just take it. Today we come to our final installment in our trilogy of sermons on that wonderful practical little prayer called the Serenity Prayer. And we ask God to give us the wisdom to know the difference between what we can change and what we can't. It turns out that Paul did a bit of teaching on that in many of his letters, but in particular this letter to the church at Philippi. Paul was writing the letter from prison uh, to this fledgling little church that he had begun in Philippi. He sensed that there, uh, there were some conflicts in the church. I don't know. Churches sometimes have conflicts, you know. Uh, there were some differing, differing ideas about where the movement was headed. And he sensed some waning enthusiasm. And so he wanted to write to them to give them guidance and direction and mostly to give them encouragement to keep on doing what they, what they had been doing. A reading from Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them and the God of peace will be with you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we come here this morning from lives that are busy and crowded, overbooked, overcommitted. We come to be quiet for a while and to be with you. Come now, O oh God, and startle us again with your truth and your love and your reality here and also in the busy lives we lead. Speak your word to us, the word we need to hear. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So every day I walk my dog Rory at the dog park over on Mack Road in Winfield. There's a little community of dog-minded people whom I've gotten to know over the many years that I've been attending. And it's presided over, this dog park is presided over 
um, by a guy named Ed, who brings his hunting dog, Nell. Now, Ed has this bushy gray beard, and he's super, super friendly, and he's a bit of a philosopher. And whenever you ask Ed how, how he's doing, he always says, life is beautiful. And when Ed says it, life is indeed a little more beautiful. Although Ed doesn't attend any organized religious service, he never, ever misses what he calls church, which is his weekly AA meeting, where they often recite the serenity prayer. Ed is almost 40 years sober, and he's very familiar with the prayer. When I told Ed that I was preaching this series, he said, Kyle, I might just come to that third sermon. The wisdom to know the dis dis difference, that trips me up every time. So the first petition in the prayer is, of course, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. God help me to realize that I am not you, that only you are you, and when I am tempted to worry and mourn about those things that are not as I would have them, those things that are beyond my pay grade, help me to accept them and to trust you. Help me to let go of them and give them over to your life-giving care. The second petition, of course, is the prayer, oh God, grant me the courage to change the things I can. Change is hard, and we often avoid it. So God, grant me the courage to fight the good fight, to look inward and change myself, to change how I react to certain circumstances and to do what I can in this hurting world. And so today we take a look at the third petition as we ask God for the wisdom to know the difference. As Ed says, that's the tricky one, the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference between what I can change and what I cannot, I think, has to do with some discerning, discerning God's will for how we should react to a present challenge. When we come to a fork in the road, we cannot simply take it. In a world that's metaphorically and sometimes quite literally on fire, it's often hard to know what is ours to do to strive with all our might to change things that cannot be changed is an exercise in futility and leads only to fatigue and frustration and despair. But standing by helplessly or hopelessly passively, accepting the status quo when it can and should be changed, when God is calling us to change it, is also a path to nowhere. And so we ask God for the wisdom to know the difference. The question before us is this, how then is God's will for us made known? How do we discern it? The Apostle Paul took a stab at this one in his letter to the church at Philippi. 
As I said before, it's interesting to note that uh, Paul is writing this letter from prison, and he knows that he may never see his friends again. And yet, they are in a time of conflict and discernment. So he writes to them and he says, Rejoice in the, world, in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. God is near. He says, Beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying to the church, I think, in Philippi, to us, first take a breath. Don't worry, rejoice even. God is near, God's got this. And then he tells them to pray about it. He tells them to listen, to really listen for God's still, small voice in their lives. And then he tells them to do the next right thing. Writer Anne Lamont says that's the secret to life. When you're overwhelmed with life's choices and decisions, you take a long, deep breath, she says, start where you are and do the next right thing you can see, and then the next. You see, we don't have to do it all or even part of it. We don't have to do it perfectly. We just have to do the next right thing. She advocates prayer, too, and does. She writes, usually if you pray from the heart, you get an answer. Either the phone rings or the mail comes and light gets through the cracks so you can see the next right thing to do. And that's all you need. You know and I know that prayer is a lot less about what you say than about what you hear. So how do we discern that next right thing? Paul says that whatever is true and honorable, whatever is just and commendable, meditate on those things. If we listen, really listen, I think God will tell us what the next right thing is. And here's the thing, I also think that God gives us holy nudges or taps on the shoulder to tell us when to act. A guy by the name of uh, Bill Hart does too. Hart happens to be an executive coach and his video about God's shoulder taps has been making the rounds. Maybe some of you have seen it, but we're going to look at it here. Shoulder taps. So Tony and I are having lunch at California Pizza Kitchen the other day and Across from us, I noticed this elderly woman sit down. She's dressed nicely, and she's at a large table by herself for about five minutes, and then what appears to be her 
daughter shows up and I don't recall two or three grandkids and they all look spectacular, uh, ready for a nice meal, obviously. And at about that time, a voice in my head starts saying, you need to go tell her how pretty she looks. So I don't even know if we're eating at this point or not, but the food arrives, check arrives. We're going to go down the walkway a little bit in this strip center and look for something. And um, that's the next thing that we're going to move to. So, so Tony stands up. I don't tell her any of this. Um, and on my way out, I just kneel down and kind of get into this position where I'm at her level that right where she's now in her in her chair and I said uh, hey if nobody else has told you yet today um, I just want you to hear from me how lovely you are and she looks at me with a look I've never seen before and says I know you and I said no you we, we don't know each other and she said I know your spirit and it gets really quiet between us and she says, my husband died a year ago, and that's something he would have said to me. And at that moment, I can't talk. I can't talk. I'm overcome by emotion, and I just hug her and smile at her through tears, and I leave. But here's what I know, and here's the reason I'm telling you this. I believe that God taps us on the shoulders and uses us at just the right moment. And what I know for sure is that she was blessed and I was enormously blessed. So I've learned in my life to listen to these shoulder taps because they do happen. And I believe the more that we listen to them, the more in alignment we are with God. And that's an awesome place to be. Shoulder taps. And that's an awesome place to be. I find that the older I get and the more wisdom, I hope, I collect, even despite myself, the more I trust the, so, the, the shoulder taps I'm lucky enough to receive. When an old friend pops into my head, I've learned to pick up the phone, reach out, and I've never regretted it. One friend calls them soul nudges. She tells this story about going thrift shopping and being in line before one of the most unhappy, maddest cashiers she had ever encountered. And with each passing customer, the cashier got more and more exasperated and meaner toward her customers. And she said as the woman was ringing up her items, my friend felt this little tingle in her spirit, a soul nudge. She said, I tried to bargain with Jesus and told him that that little extra bit of cash in the backside of my wallet was not meant for her. It should surely go to someone sweeter and kinder, more deserving, or at least appreciative, maybe, not someone downright mean and angry, but God did not budge and nor did the tingle. She says the human heart is our best compass. It rarely 
leads us astray. So as she paid her bill, she slipped the cashier some extra cash as she handed her the receipt. She was caught off guard, the cashier was caught off guard by the gesture. Why, the cashier asked. Soul nudge, said my friend. <laughs> After a pause, the cashier caught her hand and held on. She said, today's my 75th birthday and ain't nobody called me. Not my sister, not none of my kids. None of these people here, nobody, nothing. I don't think I can ever remember being so sad. Ain't nobody even remember it's my birthday. And just then, the light flickered overhead, and my friend looked up and said, somebody remembered. And she noticed the deep hurt and sweet humility that had lain buried under the woman's mask. The birthday news made, it, it made its way around the customers standing there until there was a chorus of chirping happy birthdays. And the cashier, well, she just stood there patting her heart and taking it all in. The words penetrated. The anger dissipated. Hope manifested. And the soul tingle became tangible. Friends, we never know what someone else might be navigating or battling. So let's trade out justice or just judgment for grace. When we listen to God, when we tune into God's shoulder taps or soul tingles, whatever you want to call them, not only will we know a new serenity, with God's help, we can do miraculous things in this hurting world, little by little, or as the original prayer says, one day at a time. Let's face it, sometimes the next right thing is the very least thing we want to do. It's the hard thing often. It's the thing that takes us out of our comfort zone. It's the thing that requires more of us than we may feel we have to give. But by God's grace, we know in our gut that it's the next right thing. I spoke at the beginning about taking my dog to the dog park every day. I didn't mention that that was until this last week when I had to put her down. As those of you know, dogs can be a constant companion and unending source of unconditional love. She was a big, goofy Great Dane who was so awesome and so loved. But she told me it was time, and I compassionately did the next right thing. Friends, when we ask God for the wisdom to do the next right thing, God is always there to light our path. When we ask God for the wisdom to discern our actions, God can do miraculous things. As Paul said, keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen, and the God of peace will be with you. True serenity. Amen.